Can we go ahead and begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death, amen. Mac the heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And so, uh, we are meditating on what it means to, to have a Marian heart by reflecting on Mary's Immaculate Heart. So last night, remember we talked about the vulnerability, the Marian heart exposed, and a need to lean into the tenderness and acceptance of our own fragility, uh, greater trust in the Lord that we experience through suffering and trials. Now, today, I want to talk about one of the primary results of the sword piercing Mary's heart, uh, of the suffering that she endured. And it's based off of a quote from a Catholic writer named Leon Bloy, French writer from the latter part of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, I believe. And it's very simple, but it's a very beautiful quote. He says, quote, there are places in the heart that do not yet exist. Suffering has to enter in for them to come to be. And so there are certain places in the heart that don't exist, but when we suffer, it expands and makes these places in our heart exist. It opens the heart up. And I guess in a certain sense, the title of this talk is also inspired by a chapter, a book called Mary for Today by a theologian I mentioned yesterday, Hans Urs von Balthasar. He talks about Mary's suffering and the sword that pierced her heart, and the chapter title is called The Wound Provides Space. The wound provides space. That suffering, the sword, increases the space, the capacity of our hearts. And his argument is, and we sort of alluded to it yesterday, because Mary's heart suffered the most, her heart has the greatest space. It has the greatest capacity. Let's look a little bit about this, about the capacity, the space that exists. When we think about that, the creation of space from the wound, it's empty. It's vacant. There is nothing there. And so it applies something negative, a void, a pit, like the void of the pit that we like to throw these parrots in. Did you know that a group of parrots is called a pandemonium of parrots? Very, very fitting. Anyhow, so this void that we're, we're going to look at it, it's empty. It's empty. And so from a spiritual perspective, it points to the opening of the space of our hearts, our own humility, recognizing our own emptiness, that we claim nothing for ourselves. No good deeds, no value, no worth is an expression of our poverty, the openness and the emptiness of our heart. But there's a positive spin to this, too. Whenever there is openness, there is capacity to be filled, to fill, be filled with things, to receive things or persons as a gift. And so, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because they can be filled with the good gifts, the good grace of the Lord. So vacancy, 
or capacity also implies receptivity. Now, granted, I guess in a certain sense you could have a, a void that is closed. We talked about that, that we have to have that vulnerability. We have to be open. So the void is a capacity that is open to receive. And receptivity, Mary is that perfect icon or image of that. Then her femininity, always active and open to the Lord and willing to receive. is expressed in her fiat, be it done unto me according to thy will. And so, because her space is so vast, her heart is so big, it is kakeratomene, that's the Greek, it is filled with grace. And that she opens the space for the outpouring of the Spirit so that she can become, not only in her body, but in her heart, the mother of the Savior. And from that receptivity of the gift that Mary receives flows a tremendous gratitude. Gratitude for the gift and the joy that comes along with it. It's one of the insights that I had this year in some of my spiritual reading, uh, that every young Jewish woman at that time would have been waiting for someone to appear to them or for some way to get the message that they were going to be the mother of the Messiah. Everyone wanted that. It was like the princess being chosen to be the bride of the king, of the, the peasant. And so Mary's receiving of that message, she'd have been excited, truly humble, but this is exciting. I'm the one who was chosen. And so we have to read her her flight to or her, her movement towards Elizabeth and her Magnificat as an expression of the joy and the gratitude, of the exuberance. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. It's not something very, very formal that Mary would have recited with her head down and her hands together. It's an expression of great joy and gratitude. And so Mary's heart has that receptivity, but it is the greatest receptivity. Why? Because she's sinless. Because she's sinless. She's not grasping onto anything. There's no guilt that is filling up her heart with sin. Are attachments that are unworldly, are, are, are ungodly. And so her heart has that capacity primarily for God. And so we, in looking at our own hearts, we have to have the same image of her heart if we're going to do that. Her heart was sinless and had the great capacity. And so we, of course, need to work to avoid sin so our hearts can expand in its capacity. And first, it's going to be for God and through baptism and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Trinity. It's one of the fundamental teachings of the church that when we are baptized, we become tabernacles of the Spirit. That Father, Son, and Spirit come to dwell in our souls through grace. And so it's the capacity that the Marian heart has for God, but also to recognize our own emptiness and to allow Christ to live and act through us. So the emptiness doesn't remain something negative. It becomes a positive space for Christ to dwell. And St. Paul mentions this in Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Yet I live no longer, but Christ lives in me. 
Insofar as I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who has loved me and given himself up for me. And so this absence is filled up with God's presence. It's filled up with Jesus. And the more that we remained pure, as we'll see in sinless, the more space we have, and the more that we embrace the tenderness of our hearts like Mary did, the greater capacity we're going to have because we become more dependent on him. We need him more. But besides having a great capacity for God, a Marian heart, a heart that is open and expanding, has a great capacity to receive others. To receive others. I'm not really pushing God off to the side. It's important. The Lord has to be there. But we also can bring others into our heart. Pope Francis wrote in his document, Fratelli Tutti, we achieve fulfillment when we break down our walls and our hearts are filled with faces and names. Our hearts are filled with faces and names. We need to have other people in our hearts, not just God. Not just God. If he's there, yes, it's so that others can encounter him in us. And so what Pope Francis says is the walls have to come down, like we talked about yesterday. and implies a vulnerability, an openness, a capacity to receive, an amazing capacity that is animated by Mary's heart. Our heart needs to be a welcoming heart that sees others and receives them. Imagine the amazing capacity of Mary's heart to receive others. Jesus, Joseph, John, all of the apostles, and all of us, her children. We all belong to her. Her heart can fill, be filled with the whole entire world. That's an amazing capacity. And, and so we see that that heart is very open and very welcome, welcoming. And it's part of, I guess, in a certain sense, this gift of femininity. See it in women, and I particularly see it in religious sisters. People tend to be intimidated by priests. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's the dark black that we wear. We look like jerks. But if they're priests hanging around with nuns, people will always go to the sisters first. And the sisters, all being humble and say, that's not true, Father. Oh, no, it's true. 100% true. They're trying to be humble, but it's not going to work. All right, I tell you stories. That one of them I like to tell when I was at an airport with some of the Sisters of Life, and we were talking about this. They said, Father, it's not true. They love priests. I said, that's just, just not true, sister. So get into the airport. Within two minutes, these three women walk up, and I'm standing there with the sisters. And, sister, it's so good to see you. I want you to pray for my family. And where are you from? And no, no, no. I might as well have not even been there. <laughs> so I just sort of walked off. And I said, sister, look, this is exactly the truth. Oh, no, Father, that was just an anomaly. So check in, and we go up to the, the gate. And before we get there, there's a lady who's one of the cleaners at the airport. Sister, it's so great to see you. I never see sisters in habits. Will you pray for my family? And I just look at sister like this. And she goes, Father, you're correct. So I imagine that that openness that Mary would have had, that maybe there were people who would have been scared to go to Jesus, scared to go to the apostles, and would have gone to Mary, and Mary then would have brought them to Jesus. 
I haven't seen all of the episodes of the show The Chosen, but supposedly there's one episode where Mary Magdalene falls. She's too ashamed to go to Jesus, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, brings her to her son, sort of that intercessor, that intermediary. Why? Why is Mary's heart so capacious? Why is it so big? Yes, because of her sinlessness, sinlessness, but also because of her suffering, because of the sword that pierced her heart. As we've seen, it, it gives her great capacity, but also compassion and empathy. The capacity to receive the entire world. One of my favorite quotes comes from Mother Teresa, and I think perfectly describes Mary, hopefully describes Mother Teresa, and we should hope it could describe all of us. May God break my heart so completely that the whole world falls in. May God break and shatter my heart so completely to be able to create that space for the whole world to be put in. We know how much Mother Teresa loved others. So the wound provides the space. And if Mary's had the most suffering, she had the greatest space. And so this idea of space and capacity, though, as I was praying about it and meditating on it, it made me go to the, the litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'm sure most of you are familiar with it, also called the Litany of Loretta. And I went, and I'm going to encourage you to go look at this litany, as many of you may know it. How many of the titles for Mary sort of assume a capacity, assume a space or a receptivity? Actually, they refer to sort of buildings or physical structures. Seat of wisdom, spiritual vessel, vessel of honor, singular vessel of devotion, tower of David, tower of ivory, house of gold, ark of the covenant, refuge for sinners. We recognize that in these titles we have for Mary, it assumes there is a space to hold people, to hold God. It has a capacity. And so I want to, to sort of spend kind of the rest of our, our talk today looking at some of these titles and, and, and understanding them in Mary's heart and then how we are called in Mary, having Marian hearts to have that same sort of capacity for God and for others. The first of all, Mary's heart is a home. A home. A home for the Spirit. One of the, the images that if you look at some holy cards, is Mary's heart, they have little doves flying into it. A columbarium, a dove coat. And so of course the dove is the, the Holy Spirit. So Mary's heart is that, that home for the Spirit, where the Spirit resides. But what is the home? The home is a place of safety, a place where you are seen, where you are known, where you are loved. We know the difference between an apartment and a place that we just sort of reside and a home. And so Mary's heart was a home. In John chapter 19, when Jesus gives Mary to John, the actual Greek is, is that John received her into his things into his very self. I think you could translate that into his heart. Well, it was reciprocal. Mary also received John into the home of her heart. It was a sort of a mutual, reciprocal receptivity. And for Jesus, too, 
Mary's heart was always a home for Jesus. He, of course, had lived in the home at Nazareth for 30 years, and then he left, but he knew that he was always in her heart. There's a little book that some of you may have encountered called My Ideal Jesus. It's a book of reflections on um, Jesus and sort of giving these different reflections on his relationship to his mother and uh, his heart and her heart by a father, Emil Neubert or Nybert. Uh, it's an older book. I think Pan republished it. And this is one quote from uh, one of the reflections. It's sort of in the words of Jesus. The Lord says, quote, The joy is no less profound in the last three years of my life when misunderstood by the multitude, unsupported by my friends, furiously attacked by my enemies. I thought of her who in her little Nazareth home thought of me understood me, loved me, and offered to the Father incessant supplications and sacrifices for the success of our mission, of my mission, unquote. And so Mary's heart was a home for Jesus, where he could find consolation in just that memory, knowing that she was praying for him. And so all of us, in a certain sense, then Mary, as herself, becomes the symbol of the church, our home. And so our heart then would be the sanctuary, the sanctuary that is connected to heaven, to the Father's house, to the many mansions. And so Mary's heart is a home. It is also a refuge for sinners. Now, this is a common title of Mary, the refuge of sinners. We saw it in the Litany of Loretto. And Balthazar, in his explanation of the womb providing the space, says this, Quote, the void of poverty becomes in the New Testament a gaping wound that at the same time makes space. We've already seen that. The inmost sanctuary is pierced, and what is finally there streams out, blood and water. This happens to the dead body of Jesus, while the sword that will pierce through your own soul drives into the living body of his mother and lays bare her beating heart. Both hearts become refuge, places of refuge where sinners can hide in the same way as in the Middle Ages, criminals on the run could find sanctuary at the altars of certain churches. In tua vulnera absconde me, and the hollows of your wounds hide me from the police and from their henchmen. Unquote. And so Mary's heart is that safe place. It is the refuge for all of us. It's a place of mercy, misericordia in Latin, miserere, to pity, core, the heart. Mary's heart is a heart of mercy who has pity on us. She never rejects us, even when we are the most shamed, even when we feel the most destitute. She's always there to welcome us. She's not going to betray us or turn us in. We're safe. She's always going to lead us to Christ in his merciful gaze. It's that sanctuary. We talk about sanctuary cities now, our wildlife sanctuary. It's connected to the sanctuary of the temple because the Latin root is sanctus. But it is that safe place. Mary's heart is the safe place. And we're going to see that a little bit more later. It's the place where we can hide. When we're shameful, when we're scared, when we're fearful. It's not Adam and Eve hiding from God, but instead it is being hidden in God. 
Mary's heart, the safe place. Safe place so close to God's heart, to the Father's heart, to Christ's heart. And so many passages in Scripture talk about God being the refuge or him hiding individuals. In the first book of Kings, chapter 17, he hides Elijah to keep him safe. And so God kept Mary, kept Jesus, kept Joseph hidden, kept them safe. This could be a whole topic of another retreat. A friend of mine, very insightful, who also so likes, likes etymologies like I do, going to have the hive mind in that regard, made the distinction between a refuge and escape. The word escape means to come out from under a mantle, a cape. So you could imagine us fleeing from Mary's protective mantle, from the refuge. But refuge means to return back, to flee back to the protective mantle, to seek refuge in the heart of Mary. Her heart is also, third, a place of rest. We can rest with Mary. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, quote, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. And since Mary's heart is connected so intimately with Jesus' heart, then we can also find a place of rest in Mary's heart. One of the more obscure titles of Mary's heart, or Mary, is the Triniculum. And this was, in Roman times, this sort of couch, a chaise longue, sort of as we have today, where you could rest as you ate. And they describe her heart as that Triniculum, where the Spirit rested, where Christ could rest, where we could rest. One of my favorites that sort of also is not in the litany but encompasses this idea of capacity is that Mary's heart is an ocean. An ocean. And this is inspired by St. Therese, or at least in my mind, whenever she was talking about how she she struggled to, to remember all the people that she needed to pray for. And she had this insight that if she said, draw me, the scripture says, draw me through your, to yourself. If she simply said, draw me, as Jesus drew her, he would draw everyone else that was in her heart, that was treasured by her. And so Mary wants to go into the deep of Jesus' heart. He des- she describes it as the shoreless ocean of Jesus' love. And so since Mary's heart is so connected to that shoreless ocean, her heart is an ocean too. In a certain sense, the one body of water flows into the other. He has poured his heart into her ocean. His flows into hers. And our hearts too can receive that. Ours may be little lakes or ponds. Some of us may have more like little puddles. But still, the Lord pours into them. Mary can pour into them. And the torrent, this torrent, this riptide in a certain sense, draws everything into the heart of Mary and in the heart of Jesus. And so this is what Therese says. 
And so she's talking about welcoming others into her heart. Just as a torrent throwing itself with impetuosity into the ocean drags after it everything it encounters in its passage, in the same way, O Jesus, the soul who plunges into the shoreless ocean of your love draws with her all the treasure she possesses. Lord, you know it. I have no other treasures than the souls it has pleased you to unite to mine. It is you who have entrusted these treasures to me, and so I dare to borrow the words which you addressed to the Heavenly Father at the Last Supper. Father, I will that where I am, those also whom you have given me may be with me. And so, as Mary's hearts were drawn into Mary's heart, those who exist in the oceans of our hearts are the lakes or the puddles, or the bathtubs or the sinks, are drawn into that torrent. But all of these things that I mention, whether it be the home, the refuge, the place of rest, the ocean heart, all of these are life-giving places. Life in the ocean, the life of a home, which speaks of what? Mary's heart is maternal, is that motherly heart, like a womb that gives life. But it's not just new life that's born, of course, the life of the Spirit, life of her Son, but where we are nurtured and can grow in grace and charity. A great quote that many of you may know from St. Edith Stein, the great Carmelite, St. Benedict of the Cross, the woman's soul, you could say Mary's heart, is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold. And so the heart of the mother is a place where the heart of her children can grow. They can expand. It's a life-giving place. And so, this means for us that the call to have a Marian heart means that our hearts, too, must have a great capacity, receptivity for God, yes, as we have seen, but also for others, those he has given to us, our family members, our friends, the sisters, your priests, your acquaintances, whatever. And John Paul II, something published posthumously after he died, was this meditation on givenness. I love to quote it and talk about it. Where he mentions that he believes that Jesus gives us people, that his own life he had been given individuals to love, to care for. And in doing so, he receives a responsibility. And so he says, as I have often experienced over the course of my life, this is especially important for the person whom God gives and trusts another person. God has given me many people, both young and old, boys and girls, fathers and mothers, widows, the healthy and the sick. Always when he gave them to me, he also tasked me with them. And now I see that I could easily write a separate book about each one of them. And each biography would ultimately be on the disinterested gift man always is for the other. That others are the gift that God gives to us. And that we receive them with gratitude. We don't possess them. We're going to talk about that more. We don't grasp because they're a gift. And like a mother has to give the child away. We don't own those who are given to us. 
we possess them in detachment. But all of this is rooted in love. The love that we have for God and being open and receiving him and the love we have for others. Love God first and then your neighbor as yourself. Why are we called to do that? We've talked about this before at retreats here. The commandment to love is not something which is arbitrary or voluntaristic. It's there because God wants to use us to show his love to other people. Granted, he can do it directly, but it's not often how he does things. Nine times out of ten in scripture, he uses other people to heal, other people to speak, other people to cast out demons, other people to show his love. We've got to take responsibility in this. We are his body. We can't just wait for him to just sprinkle his little magic grace dust on people. We have to communicate that to others so they can know the love of the Lord. We are called to receive them, even in their sinfulness, and express the Lord's merciful love. But the truth is, they can refuse. You can't force your love on anyone. It's something I reflect a lot on. The older son in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. He doesn't want to come in the house. And the father doesn't force him. Even though he's got bad reasons for not wanting to come in the house, he's never forced. And the lesson is this. You can only love someone to the degree that they are willing to allow you to love them. And this is particularly true for the heart of a mother. I see it so often. Whose children have strayed away from the church. Who no longer practice the faith. Their mother's heart aches. And they want to nag their children and send them books and podcasts and to tell them to come back to church. They don't want to. You can't force them. You can love them. They may not want to receive the love. You can't force them to do it. That's our own effort to control, to manipulate. Granted, we got to give them to the Lord. Say, Lord, you do it. I'm here to receive them whenever they're willing to come back. Christ never forces. He respects our freedom. Because the choice to not come back home, to not come into that space, to not receive love, is ultimately the individual's choice, and it's always self-exclusion. The gates are always open. The Lord is always welcome to receive people. But we're not perfect like Mary. It would be wonderful. If we had sinless hearts, the gates would always be wide open. But our sinlessness leads us to put up walls, to leave others out, to judge, to resist. And so we need a constant conversion of heart. That regular house cleaning to keep our heart, the space we have there, open for others. It's the importance that we're going to see of purity of heart. To have that clean room, the clean ocean for the fishes, the clean space. Two last things looking at this and particularly about this capacity of heart that Mary has and that we should have. Yes, the sword creates the space, but that space can continuously grow. The more we lean into the tenderness, the space can get bigger. And often, sometimes, yes, the suffering may come from without, but the suffering is this suffering that comes from giving oneself and receiving others and the joy that we have from receiving others. The pain that comes along with it, but our heart begins to grow. 
and space, more space for God, more space for those we love or created. And, and like a balloon almost, it expands as it's filled with air. Or better, to take the analogy of the ocean, as the ocean pours into the lake, it forces the shores to recede. And the lake grows over time because of erosion. And this happens to us when we allow ourselves to be loved by Mary. When we allow ourselves to be loved by others that we may know who have ocean hearts. Ours expands and our tiny little lakes can gradually become oceans where we receive that fresh water and therefore are able to pour it into others. And so devotion to Mary, she is continuously pouring into our hearts. She is the one who is expanding our hearts. The second thing is, though, that the analogy implies here specifically of the growth of space, and we're going to stick with the ocean heart, that the ocean can fully receive a lake, fully receive a lake and receive many lakes. But even though it may grow because it receives the ocean, the lake can never fully receive an ocean. Never. It doesn't have the capacity. It's too small. And so this is something I've meditated on, the isolation of an ocean heart. Jesus' heart, Mary's heart, so massive, so large, desiring to pour itself out, but there's no one who can receive. No one who can receive fully. Yes, Mary can receive Jesus, but they, they couldn't ever fully pour out the love like they wanted. They were happy to, because it expanded other hearts, but there is a certain isolation. And that those ocean hearts, the saints, probably experienced the same thing, but all of it, even in the suffering, points to that most important truth, that only God can fully receive us. And that we can only be fully received by the Lord. As good as it is to love and be loved by others, the creature ultimately needs to point to the Creator, to reflect the goodness and the love of the Creator. A lot to think about, and I'm going to be able to wrap this up with some homework, some things for you to meditate on, and this idea of the capacity and the wound creating the space for God and for others. First of all, what is our Marian devotion like? I'm all for novenas, I'm all for rosaries, but is it just reciting prayers, or do we actually know Mary's heart as our mother, as our friend? Do we find refuge there? Do we have the ability to rest in her heart? Number two, how big is our heart? Who do we have present there? Are we caring for them? Are we loving for them? Are we keeping that space tidy? And then in our own prayer, let's ask Mary, as always, to give us her heart, to expand our hearts, and to pray the words that Mary gave at Our Lady of Fatima to Lucia and the children. My immaculate heart will be your refuge and the way that will lead you to God. The more that our hearts become like Mary's, open and capacious for God and for others, the more we will be brought back through her heart to the heart and the house of the Father. Amen.